The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. Well, the all-star events are in the rearview mirror. Not quite far enough for my taste, but they are. Um, we haven't started in on silly on the mid-season silly season. Um, but, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about maybe some of the teams who should start selling. Um, we're going to talk about uh, a defenseman who went full meathead last night. Um, we're going to talk about uh, breaking the Stanley Cup, um, breaking bones, and breaking a thousand. Um, oh, and we're also, I guess, going to talk about breaking the stereotype. So uh, which way do we want to break first? Oh, uh, break left. No, <laughs> break right. Um, <laughs> uh, let's start with some good news here. Um, start with Alex Petrangelo. Start with some good news. Alex Petrangelo is one of those guys who the two of us felt was wildly underrated when he played for uh, the St. Louis Blues. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, still hasn't won. Uh, no, what he won with the Vegas Golden Knights. Oh, you mean a Norris? A Norris. Uh, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, still has not won a Norris. Still has not won a Norris, uh, yeah. unless my memory is more Swiss cheesy than I think it is. Uh, that's uh, I'm, this morning. Anything is possible. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, but it, it, I, I, I mean, he's lumped in there with that Shea Weber and there's a couple of others that in my eyes should have won. Shea Weber should have won. Um, there are guys on the list who shouldn't have won either the years that they won or at all or some of the years that they won or at all. Mm-hmm. Like Roman Yossi should probably have at least one additional Norris. Um, Eric Carlson's first one, no. Alex Petrangelo no. has zero Norris trophies. Uh, he is a two-time cup winner, a three-time all-star. But uh, that would be it. The closest, um, he's come to a, closest he's come to a Norris is, wow, 2019-20. He was fourth in Norris Trophy voting, as he was back in the 11-12 season. So he's come in fourth. That's the closest he's got. He's never been a top three finalist. So he's never gone to the award show for that reason anyway. Yeah, I think that's I, I think that might be another one of those miscarriages. But he's currently at 999 games which, in his 16-year career. Which, given all of the scary things that have happened in the NHL between shutout, uh, between lockouts and strike-shortened seasons and COVID, um, I mean, without all of that silliness, he'd easily have another 80-plus games, 100 games into his career at this point. 
Um, I'm somewhat of the opinion that guys who were currently hockey middle-aged mm-hmm. um, or ho- even hockey old may have benefited from the short seasons uh, surrounding COVID um, because it just put less wear on their body. They had more time to um, more time to recover. Um, but that's my very, very humble opinion. I, I'd be, I'd be inclined to agree. I mean, it. Vegas is obviously only his, the second team of his of his his long career. Uh, I'm sure that St. Louis would love to have had him play a thousand games in in a in a St. Louis Blues jersey. Looking back, he's been fairly healthy. I mean, we're talking. The lowest number, lowest number of games in a full 82 game season would be the 1920 season where he played 70. The 2021 season, I guess, would be the equivalent because that was the season that they only played 56 games and he was in 41 of them. But it, other than that, we're talking 80, 73, 78, 80, 81, 81. 81, 79. I mean, he's been a, he's been a healthy guy, or more than fairly healthy guy his whole career. So it's not like he's uh, getting there just because. Oh my goodness, he's been out a lot. I mean, yeah, he's not 25 seasons into his career and finally getting to a thousand games. He's played a lot of minutes and just a lot. Of high quality hockey, um, sixteen year. Of- no, I was just gonna. I was just gonna add on to that. In sixteen year career, he's averaging in sixteen years twenty four and a half minutes a night. His four years in Vegas, he actually got a little bit of a break. Twelve years in St. Louis, he averaged twenty four minutes and thirty eight seconds. In Vegas, they're giving him a little bit of a break. He averages 24 minutes and 16 seconds. And this so is... He gets 12 seconds off a night. <laughs> no, that 12 seconds is important. Um, he's also got 132 playoff games. That's a se- another season and a half. Um, yeah. He's played... He played on two World Juniors teams in 2009 and 2010. And in 12... In 12 World Junior U-20 games, uh, he's got 15 points as a defenseman. In that second year, in 2010, he went 3-9-12 and 12 with a plus 9 in those six games. Absolutely bonkers. Um, oh. And I think that that honestly may be what may be a perceived fault of his. Uh People were expecting him to be much more offensive. And in the NHL, he plays a very, very respectable, very quiet two-way game. It's not it I'm not gonna sit here and say that he's he's got a better points per game percentage than some forwards that we talk about. On a regular basis, yep. On a regular basis. The thing that impresses the thing that impresses me most, and this is one thing that 
I that I know I always talk about, and you you do you do as well, is being a playoff performer. He averages twenty four and a half minutes a night in the regular season. Playoffs, he steps it up. He's averaging twenty six minutes plus a night, twenty six twelve. You know what the scariest thing about hitting him hitting a thousand games in his next game played? It's against St. Louis. No. Oh, okay. He's only 34. 16 seasons at 34. And as healthy as he has been, um, we could see him. He could be one of, he could be the next NHL defenseman or one of the next NHL defensemen to hit 1500 games. That's a very short list. Yeah. And, and, it's taking it, it, it. That's taking a lot of liberties, for lack of a better word. Assuming that a lot of assumptions that he's going to stay as healthy as he has been, no serious injuries, that he stays on a team that uh, that he doesn't actually get left out and get signed by somebody like Chicago, who's rebuilding, and he's going to spend. And suddenly he's going to be up there 27 minutes a night because he's the only defenseman that they have that's really reliable or something like that. If he stays on, if he stays with Vegas or if he goes to a, a Boston Bruins or a, well, for me, a Nashville Predators, somewhere where he's his minutes can be evened out, I think it's definitely doable. For me, it's a, a, a big part of it is he has to stay motivated and he has to keep enjoying it. So going to a team that's going to that's embracing the suck and going to do a very long, very slow rebuild where they keep their prospects in juniors and VHL until they're more than ready. The old Red Wings model. Um, I think he'd hate that and certainly want out of the team. And it might it might just be enough for him to say, yeah, I I've played a lot. I've done pretty much everything I could ask I could want to do. Um, I guess it's time for me to find out what life was like after my playing career. Uh, I, I really, 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 really have trouble respecting the hockey takes of anyone who doesn't understand that this is a very high quality NHL defense. Well, we've been I talking would, about we've been talking about him for years and, and how he has been his whole career. Uh, we yeah. didn't have the show uh, way back when, but um, no, but he's definitely been one. And, and like I said, I I lump him in with the I lump him in with the the likes of Shea Weber and and Alec and and those other defense. There are other defensemen who have not been given a Norris that. For whatever reason, usually it's because they're not as offensively gifted as or as offensively producing as other defense. I don't like what they've done with the Norris. Completely different subject. We'll get into it later. Yep. But we can do that off season. Yeah, uh, it, it just this is one of the reasons why he doesn't have one is because he only averages half a point per game instead of a point per game or something. It, it's yeah. He's got three more seasons at eight million, eight eight point eight million on his contract. Okay. Um, full no movement clause for Vegas. He's an alternate captain there, as you said. He's playing rules of minutes, um, and his 
actual yeah I mean Ooh, excuse me I fully expect that he will play out his deal in Vegas. Um, I don't see why not. I mean, they're they're going to be based on the way they're going and and the way they're built. They're going to be perennial contenders for deep playoff runs. Oh yeah, they're they're going to be competitive for the next so at least three years, and that should keep his juices flowing. Yes, what he decides at that point, who knows? I mean, he's got. Several kids. He appears to be one of those guys who likes spending some time with his kids. Um, I just congratulations, I, like absolutely congratulations, and for everyone else uh, not giving this man their his flowers, uh, you know, take an Why? extra truckload from us. Yeah. Where to next? Well. Let's see. We've gone to the West Coast. Uh, unfortunately, another defenseman, a little bit on the sad side, because I know he just came back. Um, Mr. Mikhail Sergachev uh, of the Tampa Bay Lightning. He has <clears throat> he's come back. He was out. He was out injured. Showed up. Uh, played. What was it? Like a period and a half. Uh, period maybe. and a half hurts himself in the second period of his return and certainly will not be back in the regular season from the sounds of it depending on what Tampa Bay can manage uh, at this point they're struggling at, they were struggling before he came back um, I don't know if Tampa Bay is quite in a position where we should where we should put them into the sell category when we talk about it later. Um, but from what, re- from what from things I've read, it, it, people still think they're in the buy category. I mean, the thing. Well, part of that whole conversation is that everyone is cap strapped this year, and I think deals are going to be really, really creative. For me, yes, Tampa is in the third is in third in the Atlantic. They played one more game than the Panthers or the Bruins, and they're still nine points behind the Panthers. Um, yes, they unlike a good chunk of the teams in the league, they do have a positive goal differential. But when I look at their their record, their home record is as good as it gets, seventeen five and three. Their home, their away record. Oh man, eleven, fifteen, and two. Um, so yes, they played a little bit more on the road uh, uh, than at home so far this year. But you're upside down at home, and you're going to be going into the playoffs as a visitor right now. Yes. Um, no home ice advantage. Uh, that doesn't spell good things, particularly when you talk about the injuries to the roster. Um, I mean, he's not, Sergeyev is not coming back from a second unfortunate injury. He had just come back from 11 games or I think it was Actually, 11 games. Out. He, he, no, he was out for 17 games. 17 games, with a, sorry. With, a, with the dreaded lower body injury. 
only to play a period and a half and suffer yet another lower body injury, although this one a little more obvious because uh, apparently it is a fracture. Um, break broke his leg. I'm trying to get the, the terminology. They, something about stabilizing or I don't know. It's it just ooh. I mean, we'll ah, circle back is. to buy versus sell uh, in a little while um, for fractures. them. Fractures to the tibia and fibula in his left leg after being after just coming back from 17 game hiatus. I speedy recovery. I'm obviously if he does come back, it's going to be very close to the end of the season. I don't see it happening. There's no timetable uh, that they It's after given. the end of the season. It's like eight to ten weeks is the minimum, and that puts us into April. Like it would be like the last game of the season, last at the earliest. Um, yeah, most it. people are thinking it's three months, which means effectively the the Lightning have to be playing in the second round, um, maybe even the, the conference finals. There's no timetable. According to this article, there's no timetable for when he's going to return. So, which completely, I mean, it just happened. So, it just happened. Gotta, We've seen this type of injury before. It's not. It's not something we don't understand. Um, for me, you know, I feel bad for him. It's literally the type of luck that I would have. Um, I hope and, that he gets a chance to. Spend some time with family, do some rehab, maybe get in a vacation. But I don't think that he should count on being back because if he we don't know if the previous injury contributed to this. Maybe there was already a hairline fracture that was undetected um, yeah. or maybe it's just something completely different. Uh, either way, if he goes out and injures it. Re-injures this break, um, it's going to be a lot uglier and a lot longer, um, a lot longer recovery time that takes him. You know, that gets to the point where you're talking about a November or December return um, versus you know being ready to go at the start of the of next year. And not to and and. I don't think that I don't think it's insensitive to say this, but he's actually got a teammate who's been through something similar in Stamkos. Stamkos, yeah, to be able to talk to be able to to talk to him and and, I don't know, use him as a sounding board, just bounce out. You know, how did you handle? You know, what did you do? How did you deal with it? What you know. Obviously, it's a personal thing, but to be able to to just talk to somebody who's going to understand what you're going through is kind of a kind of a big thing. I mean, it would be for me if for that length of a time. I mean, being able to talk to somebody else about a procedure that you might have to have, who somebody who understands what you're going through might be able to give you another perspective on it. Oh, absolutely. Um, I. So it, it, he has. There's he a, has. There's a good amount of value 
in that, both in the functional way of doing it, because doctors and physical therapists don't explain things in plain language most of the time. True. Ask me how I know. Um, and I having it you. having it from a from a guy who's done the same thing, who has a very very similar lifestyle and uh, job to you. Uh, it's it's one of those things that a lot of people are just not going to be lucky enough to have. So yes, you're absolutely right. I think that he should embrace um, the his teammates' experiences and work off of them. I don't know if I, I don't I don't know how crazy I am about the quote in the article though. Pain meds are good though. If I was in the forest by myself, I'd be dead. Crazy, isn't it? I don't know if I'd throw the pain meds part in there. <laughs> He's right. He's right. It just it sounded it sounds a little um odd. <laughs> with yeah, no context. I mean, with with no context. <laughs> we don't know. I don't know how how clearly he speaks English. Um, exactly. Yeah. There, there's something lost in translation there. I'm willing to bet. <laughs> um, and let's see. But it, it, uh, so go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I you know, speedy recovery and, and it, it, it sucks right now, but when he comes back, he's still going to be a trusted member of that defense core. So it's absolutely. He doesn't have something to look forward to. Speaking of breaks, um, this time we're going back to Alex Petrangelo's team and wondering who done it. Um, who done it? Who done it? Sometime over the summer, um, the Stanley Cup was broken. How do you break the Stanley Cup? How dare somebody How break How do you break a 35-pound silver object? It, that's a very, very good question. Um, and Bruce Cassidy on the What Chaos show, as quoted by Sinbin Vegas, one that I can probably say now, the cup did break. It's been all fixed and everything's fine. Small break. That part you were kind of like, holy bleep, is this supposed to happen? Does this happen to everyone? Um... Maybe we do know who broke it, um, because he <laughs> apparently didn't go into too much detail about who broke it. Who broke it? Um, so, so are we thinking it's a non-player, a non-player personnel, yeah, personnel, yeah. Well, it says the the, the second one does actually. Okay. I know I'm probably in trouble with the NHL, but everything's good. It's fine. If you've ever seen the cup up close, it is dented all over the place, and it truly is the cup. It's not some replica because it's got some marks on it. End quote. That was also Bruce Cassidy. Why would you say, I know I'm in trouble if you aren't the one that broke it 
Yeah, I'm going to have to go and listen to this one because it sounds like they were also talking about a couple of other fun topics, including a Selkie campaign for Jack Eichel and something having to do with him having Cassidy having to apologize to the Arizona Coyotes last year, which is honestly hilarious. Um, um, again, that's the What Chaos show. Um, How much take a look. After, of course, you finish listening to our show, uh, I I love stuff like this. I mean, the Stanley Cup is revered, but one of the things that makes it special is that it really is embraced. And I think that, well, we know that this sort of stuff is going to happen. The Stanley Cup has been lost. It's been dropped. It's gone flying into pools. People have eaten cereal in it, changed their babies in it, drunk beer, champagne, um, and all sorts of stuff out of it. Yeah, see, that's probably why I wouldn't eat or drink out of it, because people have had their naked-ass babies in in the cup. I would 1,000% very carefully clean it before I put anything <laughs> in and and that's the and and that's the beauty of this particular trophy and is that and there's only one other there's only one other that I'm aware of where there is one original and that's the the, the when they do the World Cup every four years in soccer they have one trophy and the country gets a replica of it when it goes but the original stays in the soccer Hall of Fame wherever that may be. But there is only one Stanley Cup. It's not like the Lombardi Trophy. Every year they make a new one. It's not like the NBA Trophy. Every year they make a new one. No. No, There is one. You don't get to keep it. You get 24 hours with it. Don't break it. (laughs) And that that is why the Stanley Cup is probably going to be the most – it already is the most storied trophy. In certainly in North American sports history, probably in world history, because it has these stories that come out every year or so. And I can only imagine the things that don't come out about the Stanley Cup and people's time with it. Yeah, I'm willing to I'm willing to bet there's stories we we have not heard. <clears throat> probably ones we wouldn't actually uh, cover on the show. Guys taking it to bed with them. And yeah, <laughs> Actually, there is that picture from, I think, the first um, Crosby Cup win where he, he is in bed with the cup. Yeah, I think creepy. the picture is staged, but... Creepy. <laughs> creepy. <laughs> but yes, I get the point. And Bruce, You know what, unclean. on that note, given how many years many of these guys spend dreaming about the Stanley Cup... Why not? Yeah. Why not? I mean, they, they played their whole lives, and that's the that is the ultimate goal. So I guess, yeah. But still, Bruce, come clean. It was you, right? No. Just say it was you. Come clean. Um. <laughs> can't believe so we before the show. Yeah. We were talking about. Yet another defenseman and this team having slid out of the top three in in the division. 
Um, and the phrase that Bolton has used to describe why he's probably getting a call from the dopes was me Ted. And because he's a meathead, you know, it, like hockey Twitter is absolutely foamy over Morgan Riley's cross check uh, from last night. And in you know, many ways, like if it had just been a hard check afterwards, even a trip afterwards, I wouldn't have cared. Like no one would not be talking about it. In, a, in all fairness, the, I did call the, both of them meatheads. I, I think that Ridley Grigg was a little bit extra, but what he did isn't a potential injury or suspension. No, absolutely not. Uh, for those who missed it, the Ottawa Senators were beating the Toronto Maple Leafs last night. Um, Morgan uh, Ridley Grieg gets a breakaway and full back scratcher that probably I ha- that I literally have not seen in the NHL in two plus years. Um, slap shot from, from the hash marks from from the hash marks mm-hmm. as he's cruising in at if not full speed then certainly but certainly not coasting um with just a handful of seconds left on the clock um morgan yes. riley takes the opportunity to <clears throat> interrupt the celebration by applying his stick to the side of Grieg's helmet. Yeah. Um, Grieg goes to the ice and covers up, but like looking at the play or looking at the interaction, because it's not a hockey play. We're not going to pretend it's a hockey play. No. um, It's clear that Grieg is not seriously injured, which is the most important part. Thankful for that because uh, uh, Morgan Riley applied his stick to the side of Ridley Gregg's head with a little bit of force. Uh, yes, it, it was a considerable amount of force. There's no denying that this was a stupid play. He was ejected with a full six seconds left in the game, which is which is absolutely proof of exactly what NHL officiating is. Because had you just given him a ten minute misconduct, he would have been he would have been gone anyways. But to go through the motions of ejecting someone when they're literally not going to be allowed back on the ice for even a shift change with six seconds left and that gap in the score absolutely being seen doing something versus being seen doing right. Um do I think this is ejection worthy? Probably, but a five-minute major would have called, would have done the same thing because, again, not coming back. Your beliefs are a very talented offensive team, but they're not scoring multiple goals in six seconds. It just the physics of it don't work. Um, no. And given Morgan Riley's not very dirty history, he can legitimately say, "Hey, I was ejected from the game." with a straight face and use that to mitigate whatever comes out of dopes. 
the the thing is the dopes have actually been handing out uh, some fairly heady uh, suspensions. The David Perron got six games in December for cross-checking Artem Zub in the head. Even after he appealed it, it was upheld. Uh, there have been other. I mean, they 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 haven't been letting it slip. I think the fact that he has no history of suspensions. I'm thinking two, three games, three games max. I get, I'm thinking most likely two. I, I I I just don't like this kind of. There was no need for this. Yes, did he score? Did he take an all-out slapper from 15 feet in front of the net? He did. Did he need to? No. Was he hurting anybody? No. But you coming over and cross-checking him in the head and could potentially injure the guy and have him out for for weeks, you know, possible concussion, anything like that that could happen with head injuries— that's being a meathead, and it was clearly over the top, and there was absolutely no need for it. Oh, fine, you want to go over and check the guy because you want to send a message. Fine, go over and body check him. They're not going to throw you out of the game for that. They're not even going to give you a penalty for that. Nope. It, like anything short of a slew foot or a cross check or deliberate hit to the head, they're just going to be like, get the get the bleep off my eyes, go away. They're, the respect. They'll give you two minutes at most and call it a night. The response was just way over the top for what he did. Uh, do I like it? No, it wasn't really necessary, but he did it. it, it do I yeah, hate it, it? No, I actually don't hate it. I think it's over the line. I don't think it's un. No, but I'm saying is Rid- no, but Ridley Gregg was. It, Ridley Gregg's slap shot was not necessary. He could have tucked it in. He could have poked it in. He didn't have to full bore unload. Clearly, that was you know a message. Oh, it was it was definitely a message. And as one person on Twitter uh, said, you know, if you don't like it, don't lose to ba- don't lose it to basement dwellers. <laughs> don't lose to <laughs> this is true. Like I. <clears throat> If you don't like it, get real goaltending. Oh, wait, I said that out loud. So. Sorry. No, no, no. You're, <laughs> you're not saying anything that literally isn't a daily part of conversation for anyone who understands the NHL or the way the NHL actually works. If you don't like it, get real defensemen. Um, okay. Your one real defenseman is still injured, so. So. You think how many games do you think he's going to get? Two, three, five, twelve? Uh I think he's gonna get I think it's gonna be three, Max. I honestly think that even though I don't believe his history or the act deserve it, I think he's gonna get four or five. Why? I, origi- I originally said five, but looking at the fact that he hasn't been suspended before, I realize the NHL is trying to knock this crap out. But They're trying to knock this out, uh, particularly when they're steering away from a topic we haven't talked about uh, on the show, and I don't expect us to. 
Um, right. I, but we're heading towards the playoffs. We're literally on the downslope towards the playoffs. I think they want the message sent that even if you're in the biggest market on the most financially important teams of the league, you can't do this crap. Um, I I originally thought five, I lowered it to three. So (sighs) I, I tend to agree with you. If they're trying to knock it out, they want to send a message and, and what better way to do it than to, you know, the the home of the, the the believed home of hockey, you know, it's Toronto. That's where the Hockey Hall of Fame is. That's where, you know, Maple Leaf Gardens was, you know, trying to trying to make a statement. Five games would make that statement. I completely agree, but I I don't know. I just think that the 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 DOPS has a tendency to take into account the fact that he hasn't done anything. They do. Um, I would, I will not be shocked if it's actually four games, one game below what you can be, what you can realistically appeal or expect to be appealed. Um, So we've talked a lot about defensemen this week. And surprisingly for us, we, we haven't we haven't actually used up that much time. Um, so we're going to jump into a case where Mike was right, and people just need to listen to me or put me in their front office. Um, okay. So, serious question, important question, and we'll yeah. get to this even though I'm sure you can figure out where I'm going. Um, how many goals have each of the Bruins uh, centers scored this year? I don't know. They've used like 14 people at center because they can't find one. So let's see. Beecher has five, I believe. Uh, Coyle has like 13 or so. Oh, no, he's way past that, but keep going. How many goals total? How many goals total for each center? I I, I can actually read it off to you. Let's see. Charlie Coyle. 50 total. I don't know. Yeah. 18 for Charlie Coyle. Okay. 12 for Zaka. That's 30. Trent Frederick has 14. 44. Morgan Geeky has 9. 53. Matt Patra, who we'll talk about in a little bit, has 5. 58. Uh, actually, more looking for the individuals, but keep go- keep going anyways. Um, okay. John Beecher, you said five. Is Jacob that right, Lauco, by the way? Jacob Lauco has two. Yeah. Uh, Jesper, Jesper Boquist has one. Yeah. Um, Patrick Brown is listed as a center. He has zero. <laughs> Oscar Steen is listed as a center. He has one, plus like four taken away. Um, Anthony Richard and Georgi uh, Mirkulov have zero each. Um, 
we're close enough to the trade deadline that that's what we're talking about, and we'll be talking about it even more next week. Yeah, but you have you've got a total of sixty-seven goals from everybody listed as a center. Correct. Whether they played center or not, because Richard didn't play center in his one game so far. He played wing. But for the last three years, I've said the Bruins need to go after centers. They need to go after legit NHL centers because they don't have a top two, even they don't have a top two center in their pipeline. We knew that with David Krejci stepping away before coming back to for that last year in the league, we knew that with Patrice Bergeron hitting, what was it, 1,500 NHL games, 1,600 NHL games, that, you know, time was expiring. And just from listening to him talk, and we knew that, you know, whether or not it was motivated by father time or or family or, you know, whatever else, that Bergeron was going to move on. And, yeah, 1,200 uh, plus NHL games. See, but what I'm trying to figure out right there is why didn't Don Sweeney use Krejci as an example as to what was going to – why didn't he see that as an example as a – as a, a, a you know foreshadowing of what it was going to be like to not have two number one two number one centers or or a number one and number two center or to be Zaka. missing. They went out and got Zaka, and they assumed that he had been misused in in New Jersey, and that he would just bounce back to being that top first round draft pick. And nope, 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 nope. He came back last year. He did not have more goals. Uh, I mean, Pavel Zaka last year had less goals than Patrice Bergeron and less assists than David Krejci. Both guys who were pretty much who were actually in the league when he was drafted. Um, But the point is, I've been saying... Go after centers, go after centers, go after centers. Find me that 23, 25-year-old. Get them in here. Let them work with Bergeron while you have them. Let them work with Chris Kelly. Let them work with, you know, the rest of the roster as needed, training staff, whatever. Because there's a guy, and we've talked extensively about the lists over the last three or four years, who's being misused but has the right tools. There's two or three of those guys who I still think that the Bruins should pursue. Okay. And one of them is playing for the Washington Capitals. Because for the third year in a row, despite a couple of different coaches and teams and the best goal scorer of all time uh, being Absent by his standards from play, Dylan Strome, 20 goals for the third season in a row, a career high on a really bad, bad Washington Capitals team. Um, anyone who wouldn't take Strome over Zaka is out of their flipping mind. 
well, Zaka did have a career year last year. You're making it sound like he didn't do anything. He had he had 21 goals, 36 assists, 57 points, played all 82 games. It's the first time he's done that in his career. And Zaka and uh, Dylan Strom had better numbers than that in 69 games in the 2021 season. Dylan Strom is hands down a better player. Okay. Um, and he's not even expensive in terms of like hockey play, uh, in terms of salary. It just, he's also okay. got, again, more goals than any Boston Bruins center this year while playing on a far worse team. His cap hit is only 5 million. Um, if the Washington Capitals can be convinced to sell, this guy should be in the top three in terms of going after a position of need. And with the probable exception of Mason Lorai, I cannot think of a single non a roster or non-roster player making under six million who I wouldn't trade for him. There's the guys I wouldn't like to trade for him. But you're, you can't convince me that the Bruins don't need a 26 or, oh, I'm sorry, he'll be 27 in at the trade deadline. A 27-year-old signed up for not expensive money uh, for the next four seasons. Pavel Zaka, 48 games, 12 goals, 21, 33, plus 9, 18 minutes tonight. Uh, where is Dylan Strong? Games, 20, 20 goals, 14, 34. Minus 8. On a terrible plays 17 Plays 17 and a half minutes a night and is half a percentage point worse in the faceoff dot than Pavel Zaka. So you're not improving yourself on the face-off dot. Face-offs are more than just the center. And okay. half a percentage point, half a percentage point is negligible. Okay. Charlie Coyle. Charlie Coyle, I would not like to lose for him. 18 goals, 27, 45, plus 11. Averages 18 minutes, 18.04 a night. Slightly less, and well, three seconds less than his face-off circle. His face-off percentage is 51.2. Does that mean that Dylan Strom is a better center than Charlie Coyle? Um, he's better offensively. He's probably faster. He's not better offensively. He's got 34 points. Charlie Coyle has 45. Charlie Coyle's a plus 11. He's a better two-way center. He's better. He's a better goal scorer. There are no goals coming from center. There's not enough goals coming from centers to complement the wings. Period. He's only got two more than Charlie. Yes, he's got more than Pavel Zaka. Would I swap Strom for Zaka? For Zaka? Yes. I, I guess I would because he scores more goals than Pavel does. I 
Pavel Zaka doesn't even play full-time center. True. Very true. And quite frankly, I would rather see one of the Bruins prospects on the wing in regular games than Pavel Zaka. I never liked the trade. I've never pretended I did. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm not a wild. I wasn't a wild fan of the, the trade either. I didn't understand it. I think that uh, there are other names out there. Unfortunately, the names that I was willing to accept or the names that I wanted are off the table. So we're stuck with. Well, we're off the table till probably the trade uh, till the uh, <laughs> till draft. I mean, Ryan O'Reilly is having an equivalent. Actually, Ryan O'Reilly is having a season equivalent to Charlie Coyle, with better, more with more time on ice and higher faceoff win percentage. And that's another guy that I've talked about and talked about and talked about the Bruins going after. I just, I don't know what Washington's going to want in return. I can I fear that it's going to be more than the current general manager is willing to pay. He seems to pay exorbitantly for the wrong players and sits on his hands when the right players come along, uh, as evidenced by the Elias Lindholm miss, the Sean Monaghan miss. Because those two would have been my top two options. And those two would have made a lot of sense. Uh, (laughs) But remember, this guy was a UFA this summer. Mm Mm-hmm. They could have signed him. They might have had to move someone else out, but they could have signed him. And his previous contract wasn't exactly prohibitive because he was on a three and a half million dollar deal with Washington. What's this Strom's deal? Strom's deal. He's still he's still not. He's is he cheaper than wait a minute is he cheaper than Zaka right now? He may well be. I think he's cheaper than Zaka right now. Pavel Zaka is at, no, he's a quarter of a million more than Zaka. Oh, okay. And uh, so Dylan Strom is 26. Zaka is what, 28? Uh, No, Pavel Zaka is 26. I think they were the same draft. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, nice. 2015. Yeah, 2015. Zaka was taken number six. Strong was taken number three by Arizona. Yes. <laughs> so. So, yes, I'm saying that the number three pick in the 2015 draft is still better than the number six pick in the 23 and the 15 draft by three spots. There you go. I just, I would like to, yeah, I, I would like to, I would like to see our GM do something instead of sitting on his hands and doing, or sitting on his thumbs or whatever he's doing and doing nothing because 
it's not helping that we don't have a proper center at number one. That they keep fluctuating between Charlie Coyle and... Uh, a cast of thousands? Yeah. Because they rotate this one in, then they move that one. You put Beecher back down because, wait, he's waivers exempt, so he's not going to get scoffed up by somebody else who you know he would be gone the moment they put him on waivers. Uh, same thing with Lowry. They'd both be, see ya. Uh, so you, you've got, and Morgan Geeky is, Morgan probably is having a pretty a pretty good year. Yeah, still I think he's better as a wing than a center, but I think he's probably better as a wing than a center, but I think that he might have value as a trade piece. Interesting. Can we call this a bounce back year for him? I don't know. Can we call it a breakout year for him? Mm. That seems a little uh, stretchy for me. If Trent, if Trent Frederick were better, and, and I know that this is well, actually, you know, we probably almost can call this a breakout year okay. because last year in 69 games he had nine goals, 19 point, 19 assists for 28 points. In 46 games this year, he's got nine, 15, and 24. Uh, that's that being geeky. Yeah. Um, Not the strongest in the face-off dot, only 44%, 44. Yeah, 44.3. just hit 226 NHL games. Like, Morgan Morgan Geeky is, in a lot of ways, very similar to Trent Frederick in that he's kind of a project. Yeah. Um, it, would be, it would be somewhat unfair to him to trade him for no reason, but I think trading him for particularly where he's got a year on the cheap left on his deal um, as part of generally improving the club and giving him an opportunity to play someplace um, full time, which he hasn't. I mean, he's sat out some games. He's, I think he had an injury earlier this year too, but um, I, I, I can't look at any of the guys that Don Sweeney brought in this off season and say, Wow, that one was a great choice and improved the team and is a natural fit here. It's not Parker Watherspoon. It's not Kevin Shattenkirk. It's <laughs> not Morgan Geeky. I think that Jesper Boquist has looked good. Has looked good for you know a bottom six player in his NHL games this year. JVR has looked better than the first time they brought him up. Yes. JVR has either been invisible or what you expect JVR to be. And I think he's been invisible more often than what you expect JVR to be. Um, Morgan Geeky, again, project. He's a very young player. Um, I wouldn't trade Trent Frederick for. There's a lot of reasons I wouldn't trade Trent Frederick. And. That's why my biggest, my biggest, probably the most shocking thing that I will say to you Uh in the next three or four shows, maybe this year, is that for the first time in his career, 
I would consider adding Morgan Morgan Riley to the Boston Bruins. Meathead? Yes. No. Yes. No. No, you're, no, the question you're supposed to ask there is why. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize there was a question. Why? Because of the thing that I said a month ago about Meathead. what's wrong with the Boston Bruins. It's not just a lack of skill at center. Um, it's not just it's it's the reason that I said that, well, the guy who's not been on the team for a couple of months uh, because of his off ice issues um, was probably the best offseason move that Sweeney made. I called it emotional labor. There's a bunch of passengers and some luggage on this team. And then guys like Brad Marchand and Trent Frederick, who are doing a lot of the emotional lifting, a lot. And one, two guys can't carry a team. When you go into Washington and you can't score a single goal against the, against the Capitals, a team that has been so bad that Alex Ovechkin is a minus 16 on the year. Um, you've got issues. You, you literally, lack of emotional engagement is number one, number two, number three, number four, and number five on your list of problems. Okay. But you started out with centers and now you've switched to acquiring a defenseman. No, no, no. It's not about defense. It's about someone who cares about losing. Like, the, I don't remember if it was Gretzky. There's been a couple of hockey players and a couple of other big-name big athletes who have said over and over that they hated losing more than they liked winning. And I don't see enough guys on the Boston Bruins who hate losing. Okay. I'm still not. First of all, Morgan Riley signed till the heat death of the universe at seven and a half million. Uh, he's 29 years old. That's fine. He averages. Hmm. Am I saying specifically that Bruins should go after Morgan Riley? No. He's a, well, he's a meathead. He's got all of. Hmm. I'm sorry. Does that say he has one penalty minute this season? Is it even possible? Oh, no, it's a plus one. He's got 43 penalty minutes. No. 23. My apologies. He has 23 penalty minutes. You know why? Because he got 15 in that in that one game in Ottawa. He went from 8 to 23. Yep. Because he got a major and a whatever. And so they added 15 minutes in penalty minute, which – tripled his penalty minutes to 23. The number his his highest penalty minute season was 2 years ago when he had 40. The if you're looking for physic and and I really I am want not a big who's fan. Emotionally engaged. I don't think he's it. I get what you're saying, but I don't think he's it. So if you I'll take you at face value you say that you don't mean him per se. But somebody who 
Yeah, because no, not him. Please, no, not him. Um, but I get what you're saying. You need somebody who is n- not going to take losing sitting down. Somebody who's not going to take. brought it this year. All of them. <laughs> third of the roster turned over from last year. A third okay. of the roster. Yeah. Who's the most emotionally engaged of those players? Of the 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 people that are left? Of the people who came in this, yeah. Or the people who were brought in. I mean, Patrick Brown hasn't played much. Patra seemed like he was engaged earlier in the season. I think that as time went on, he kind of, I don't know if he got lost in the shuffle or fell behind. I, I don't know. He, he seemed really engaged at the beginning of the season and then sort of drifted off. The most uh, of people who brought in it, I I guess geeky. I don't know. They're really. I'd actually yeah, none of, I, I get your point. None, none of them are jumping out at me. It's not JVR. No, I, I, he's the one thing he's good at. Literally, the one thing he's good at is stealing the puck. I watched like in one game and he tips. stole the puck like five times from different people. It was like, OK, he's good at that. Network tips and stealing the puck from the unwary. Like, he doesn't win puck battles. Mm. But true. He will take the puck from you if you have your head shoved someplace where oxygen gets difficult. Um, I. And no, that, I, I mean, that was the, that was my biggest problem with what Sweeney did with admittedly highly limited cap space this off season. And I don't know where you're going to find that unless you go places Sweeney's probably unwilling to go. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe you suck it up a little bit and you call Kevin Adams and you say to him, you know, that Connor Clifton guy, can we have him back? Can Can you please ship him out to us? Well, I know I know one person who will be celebrating if that happened. Um, I can think of three people and two of them are recording this show. Yep, that works. Okay. Actually, it might be four people because I think him and Forbert really played well last year. Oh, my goodness. They were a great team. Ah, physical. Ah. Killed penalties. I think that I think and and I I've said it before. I think that was one of the mistakes was not re-signing Connor Clifton. I, I yes, he's not an offensive-minded defenseman. He's he he's quick. He's got a decent shot. He he'll get it's you fifteen to twenty points, maybe twenty-five. I mean, yeah. But that's not his game. He's physical. You look at how many people talked about him hitting. Uh. Milan and the side and, and how he's like, ah, just two yeah. great hitters. Me, yeah, it, it, that's his game. He's a physical guy. He's a he's a 
primarily defensive defenseman, primarily defensive defenseman, somewhat two way, but eh, still primarily defensive. You pair him with Forbort on the penalty kill, and you got two guys who are physical, defensive, stop the puck. They were good on the penalty kill. I think it was a mistake letting him go. He didn't. I, I understand that, it, it, as you said, the very limited cap space, and at the time they couldn't afford to pay him three million dollars a year. No, um, but I do believe that yes, you have to call Kevin Adams and do so. He would. I think he would be a a nice welcome back to the locker room, especially from guys like Brad and Charlie, who played with them last year. Or. I think Forbort would be thrilled to have him back <laughs> and Lindholm. I think the defense corps would be thrilled. That would be interesting to see if he'd actually suck it up and do that. I don't. Unfortunately, I do not see Don doing that. I don't see it. I, I If that happens, I promise not to say anything bad about Don Sweeney on the show for at least a month. A month-long moratorium on Bad-mouthing Don Sweeney. That would be tough. It's not bad-mouthing when it's the truth. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. I I don't know what – I I mean, you need guys. Yeah. They need guys to with them. Obviously, the Kachuk brothers would be great, assuming it could be done. So what you're looking for is not necessarily somebody who not only hates to lose but – even if even if it's not – it's a hatred to lose, but that's sort of like ingrained into the fact that they're guys with a little bit of sandpaper. Yes. As Rick likes to call it. You need the guys with a little bit of grit, a little bit of sandpaper. Somebody I don't else. think that you can have a hatred, a, a motivating hatred for anything without having that um, coarse texture in, in some ways. Um, you know, we talked about, we talked about different players and I'm, I'm looking around the league and I know that the league has shifted away from fighting and I don't need a fighter. I don't need the next Sean Thornton or the next Georges LaRock or heaven help the current NHL Ty Domi. Um, But I I need a player who talks a little bit closer to John Tortorella than Bruce Cassidy. Yes. And who plays a little bit closer. Like, even a Lars Eller as your fourth-line center right now, I could take that because the dude plays his uh, backside off. Mm -hmm. Um, Chad Ruiel. I think that he plays he plays assertively. Um, I mean, there's in the day job, one of those things that I always say and always firmly believe is if you have two candidates who two candidates for a position who are otherwise equal on paper, and one of them feels they have something to prove, and the other one thinks that they are already more than good enough, I will take the one with something to prove 110 times out of 100. 
Find me that player or two with something to prove. I don't care if it's Ryan Hartman. I don't care if it's... Give me the attitude. Like, give me the want, the need to not lose. The need to win. Like, if Jared Spurgeon is going to come back healthy, and I don't actually believe that he is this year, I will take Jared Spurgeon. And everyone not named uh, Brandon Carlo on the Boston Bruins blue line can be traded. Okay. I like Matt like. I, and yeah, Spurgeon's not coming back this year. Um, he had successful left hip surgery a couple of days back. Um, but he only got into 16 games. Uh, he's expected to be back for the start of next season, which good for him. Um, I just don't, I don't know who. I don't know who it is, but I want someone engaged emotionally. And it's it's difficult to assess that just by looking at statistics or numbers. I mean, yeah, you can sit there and go, well, he's a he's a physical guy. He hits a lot. But unless you actually watch them all the time mechanically, one, some guys just hit mechanically and they're so out of position when they're making hits that they cost their team more than they bring. Yeah. Um, I just so, don't. Keep going. I know. I'm just thinking, I, I'm just, I, I'm scouring things like looking at, okay. Trent Frederick, for example, has, and, and whether it's a market of anything, uh, whether it's a marker of anything, uh, it's not most likely because I think that Mr. Frederick is targeted a little by the officials sometimes, but he's a plus 17, which puts him uh, top four on the team. Well, I'm not even looking at team. I'm looking at centers league wide. JT Miller is a plus 21, but way below him in penalty minutes. Trent Frederick has 45 penalty minutes. JT Miller has 39 of of the people that have more penalty minutes than Trent Frederick, mm-hmm. if you use penalty minutes and, and you can't because it's stupid stick infractions that they're always calling. But the only one ahead of him that's better offensively is Leon Dreisaitl. I don't know that the Bruins are going to be able to swing a trade for Leon Dreisaitl. He's but the only – but, but I'm talking just like penalty minute. Like I said, stick infractions unfortunately play into that. So it's not really a sign of physicality. I was looking for hits, but they don't seem to rank hits on the NHL stat line. So, uh, But Leon Dreisaitl, yes, has, is, is offensively more points than Trent Frederick. Other than that uh, – Who's the next closest is Ryan Strom of Anaheim, but he's a minus 11. Mason McTavish has. Yeah, but the plus minus is only indicative of the team. Yeah, see, everything, every stat is indicative of something else. It, 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 you can't 
it, you have to watch these players to see truly who it is that is going to give you that that hatred to lose, that need to win, that 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 in incidental. The, the, I can't remember the word. I can't find the word. The, Sharkulous? In, intangible. The, 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 that that desire. You can't see that in the numbers. No matter what numbers you look at, whether they're advanced metrics, whether it's just simple metric, whatever, you're not going to find it. You have to watch the players. And and, and even though because yes, Morgan Riley was a meathead. Uh, Tom Wilson is a meathead. I don't. Seconds. Yes. <laughs> um, on the Ducks, there are five guys with worse. Uh, plus minuses. Well, and he's tri- he's tied with Pavel Mintikov uh, for six and seven. But Alex Killorn, Frank Petrano, Mason McTavish, Jackson Lacombe, and Cam Fowler all have worse plus minuses. I mean, Cam Fowler is their best defenseman. He's out there all the time. Jackson Which is Lacombe, why he's got a bad plus minus. Jackson Lacombe is, I believe, a rookie. Um, Mason McTavish is less than three years in. Something uh, happened to Ristolainen when he was in Buffalo. He was the only defenseman they had. He played 27 minutes a night, so he had a minus whatever it was, 50 or something like that. And everybody got on him. He was the worst defenseman. Uh, no, he was the only defenseman you had, and he played half the freaking game. And he So, yes, Cam Fowler is kind of in that situation. So, unfortunately, the plus-minus is exaggerated there. Yeah. And they're not, not – It's just not a – Good team. They're anything but a good team. I mean, just – I mean, just as an example, Radko Gudis has the best plus-minus on that team. And it's not even close. Erho Vakaninen has a plus five on that team. You realize he plays like 17 and a half minutes a night now? He's got the second best plus minus on that team. Can you guess what Radko Gudis is? Um, Plus nine. He's a plus 16. Oh, wow. Wow. Is there... Any universe in which you think that Radko Gudis, aside from raw physicality, is a better defenseman than Cam Fowler? No, I used to think he was he was he was on the meathead squad up until he stopped being a meathead because I haven't heard anything from him suspension wise in a couple of seasons now. Well, he's got 81 penalty minutes in his 45 games, uh, which is also the most on his team. Uh, Ross Johnston, who used to be, he played for, wasn't he in Florida at one point or Tampa? Ross no, Johnston. He's on the Islanders. Sorry, wrong guy. Okay. Um, he's got 80 penalty minutes somehow this year. Um, but here's I don't I don't I don't know where the guys that they need to find are or exactly who they are. 
but Brad and Trent can't keep doing all the work. Like, can't do all the emotional lifting. No. And, I mean, what's the thing that I referred to Patrice uh, Patrice Bergeron as for the last 15-plus years? I said he was the emotional epicenter of the team. Oh, that's well, the, he has been. Yes, there's no arguing that. And just removing him was going to require adjustment. Not enough adjustment was made because even if the guy who's been gone for a couple of months were still on the roster, I don't know that it would be enough. I think they need someone like maybe a Sean Dursey or um, to come in and provide a little bit more of that attitude, that truculence, whatever you want to refer to it as, um, that early even snarl, defiance, like oh. that living in defiance of okay. bad situations and the rest of the roster having bad games. I I don't know. Again, like you said, just to reiterate, I don't know where you find them. You you because it's not something you can just pluck off a tree. It's not something you can just look at a quick YouTube video. You've got to watch them. Statheads doesn't have a stat for uh, a hate to lose meter. Yeah. It it basically comes down to okay, we've seen what a guy like Connor Clifton is like. We know what he can do. So, yeah, he kind of moves to the top of the list. You've seen Thomas Nosek. You've seen whether Eric Howell, and I don't think that Eric Howell is, I'm, I'm not trying to get him. I'm just saying you've seen these players. They've come through the organization. You know whether they have that snarl factor or not but yeah I don't see it out of Van Riemsdyk I don't see it out of Shattenkirk I do see it out of I do see it out of Morgan Geeky at times I don't see it all the time no uh, Morgan Geeky I like more than I expected to is I, I thought that there was something there when I saw him play for Seattle, but I've never, it's not like he's a guy that I've seen play. I saw play 25 or 30 games before he came here. Um, it's not like I've seen him play a long playoff run like Rust or um, Gensel or some of the Pittsburgh guys in the past. Yeah. Um, but I. Um, no, I, I agree. I just, I don't know. And we have not know where we're going to find it is the question is the problem. I don't know how to find it because I don't know what to call it. And you can't, you can't plug, uh, you can't just tell, uh, Google or chat GPT or Google Gemini or whatever. Hey, find me this thing that I want that I don't know what it is or how to describe it. But, uh, 
Definitely give me it. You can't quantify it. Um, something that we can quantify is, well, the Bruins have a little bit more cap space and a little bit more and another roster spot for exactly the wrong reasons. Um, Matt Potra is out for the season um, after having a slightly up, down, and sideways year. This one, this one threw me because my all I saw was that he was a scratch yesterday. It, when they're rolling through it on Channel Five, they're rolling through the things at the bottom, you know, the the, the line combinations, and then it says scratches. Doesn't say healthy scratch. Doesn't say why they're scratch. Just says scratches. And Matthew Patra was listed there. Come to find out, uh, he's having season-ending shoulder stabilization surgery. And this was actually listed like four days ago on Tuesday. Yes, five days ago. And this is apparently something that's been going on for a while um, because it looks like he injured it back on January 9th. So over a month ago, I remember the play. He was hit along the boards. It was in the offensive zone. He took a hit along the boards and he kind of skated off. He he skated off holding his shoulder and they didn't, you know, there wasn't anything there, but he didn't return to if I remember correctly, he didn't return to that game. Ended up missing a hand, a handful of games. Was it three, four, five, something like that? Uh, wait, no, yeah. the article tells me it's four. <laughs> Isn't that about the time that the rumors of disaffection by uh, Montgomery were were rolling around too? Uh, I thought that was... I thought that, that whole after? incident was before the World Juniors because then he and him being away no, at the no, World Juniors. Yeah. I thought because him being away at the World Juniors was supposed to be a good thing. I I, I don't know. There was no, supposedly. You're right. you're right. I'm sorry. Keep going. So he he goes in. He has he misses these four games. He returns to play against uh, against the Canadian teams. Uh, I don't know if it was just, you know, because he's from, the, you know, we'll put him up in, in the Canadian team, but played against Montreal, Winnipeg, no points, uh, sat out the last game. I remember that against Philly uh, just before the All-Star break, but apparently went in for a follow-up visit on Tuesday, this past Tuesday. Yep. Um, Medical staff made the recommendation for him to proceed with the surgery rather than continue playing with an unstable shoulder and risking further damage, which makes sense. At 19 years old, I'd rather have him finish the season now, come back next year at 20, fully healed up, fully healthy, ready to go in October from game game one. And also shut him down. I agree. Come at, yeah, absolutely. Come into camp, having been there and done that, and made the roster before, knowing what it takes and being able to focus a little bit more on skills and play and fitness, 
and worry a little bit less about, oh, my God, am I doing the right thing? What are they going to throw at me tomorrow? Uh, am I going to understand? Am I going to be able to keep up? Blah, 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 blah. Um, this, as much as I would prefer that he, you know, not get injured, um, this is almost certainly the right thing to be doing. Yeah, I, I and it, outside of the fact that his face-off percentage is um, slightly north of abysmal, if not uh, pretty normal for rookies. Yeah, what he was in the forty somethings. I don't think he quite cracked. I don't think he cracked fifty. I think he was in the forties uh, percentage face-off percentage-wise. But he finished. He finishes the season with 15 points, five goals, 10 assists, and 33 games. So he's slightly under half point per game. I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I mean, I'd rather see him come back healthy. And you know what? Okay, he he didn't have the benefit of. And I know that I've said it. I'm pretty sure you've said it. This is a kid who probably would have benefited from a year in, in, in Providence, but due to the way the rules are laid out, it was either send him back to Canada or keep him on the roster. The, the option was not there for him to go to the AHL. No. But he certainly would have benefited from the extended season and playing at a higher or faster pace in the AHL than what I'm sure he was accustomed to in because his numbers in, in, in Oshawa or Oshawa. No, Sault Ste. Marie, one of the two Oshawa, wherever it was, he came from. Yep. His numbers were pretty gaudy. I mean, clearly he was built. He, he could play in that league. It, sending him back there. Wasn't going to help him in any way. He wasn't going to learn anything. He was just going to dominate again. I mean, the only value uh, to sending him back would be, like, physical maturation. And if you could get the the OHL team to agree to giving him games off here and there in order to spend a little extra time working out. But you don't have control over that team. It's – I don't – of the choices between sending him back to the O and sending and keeping him in pro, in Boston, Boston was the better choice developmentally for him. Yes. Um, if nothing else, he sees what he has to work on this off season. So yes, do I think this is the right? I mean, get the get the shoulder stabilized. I'm all for it. It's going to suck for him having to watch instead of being able to play. I get it, but I definitely think that this is the right thing. You don't want to risk further injury, not with a 19 year old, and then have him missing a full season at 20 or 21 because it's it's a nagging thing that suddenly becomes a, a chronic thing that no. Or it goes fully separated and you have the, you have multiple soft tissue issues and for ta- perhaps joint issues. Yeah. Just um, get it fixed now and be done with it and speedy, I, speedy full recovery to him. Speedy full and boring. <laughs> boring. Uh, yes. 
you and I were talking last week, uh, or maybe it was two weeks ago, about the return of Patrick Roy to an NHL bench. And he's drawing praise already. Have they had to fix any glass around the uh, <clears throat> the rink yet? Nope, but they also haven't had to tell him that he can't take uh, players' cell phones and look <laughs> pictures on them. Um, that was story, that was Columbus, but okay. Story in the taken. New York Post, Ethan <laughs> Sears, um, talking about Patrick Brouillard doing video sessions one-on-one with players um, to examine spots where they need to iron out issues. Uh, um, he knows it's more work. He's Something that's really interesting to me is he's working specifically with, like, Oliver Wallstrom and Pierre Engvall. Now, Wallstrom is a kid that we've known for seemingly 30 years um, because he got famous in uh, many one-on-ones forever in a year for a fancy goal. Mm -hmm. Um, And hasn't ever lived up to the first round draft pick uh, selection. So the fact that Patrick Roy in his first month back behind an NHL bench has decided to take a one-on-one approach and work with not just his stars or the players that are expected to be stars, but the guys whose expectations for have been tempered, shall we say over the years. Um, I think this is a fascinating choice. If it works, I think it's going to be a big change in how NHL coaches approach things. Because, you know, one of the things that I learned as a manager uh, in in the day jobs is, you know, deliver praise in public, criticism in private. Uh, and that's not something that's really done in sports. Um, I understand why it's not done 100% in sports, but I also think that one of the hidden values in this Less distraction for the players, less distraction for the coach. Um, the coach who's wa- like Patrick Ruah watching Oliver Wallstrom or whoever he's sitting uh, doing video with one on one, you have the full attention of each other. Someone squirms a little bit, someone has a question. There's no, there's less inclination to hide a potentially dumb question when you don't have your peers, um, you know, sitting literally shoulder to shoulder with you, like you would in a locker room or a briefing room. Um, I, I like it. I really like it. I hope it works. Uh, I mean, not just because I think the NHL is in a better place with more of the big city teams. Um, competitive and hitting the playoffs but because I think it's I think it's an opportunity for guys like Wallstrom to get that second chance to get that <sighs> leaving aside the elite players 
the difference between the good and really good players or the good players and the role players, it's really small. And it has been for years. Um, I think that, you know, if this is the, if this is buffing off or sanding off the last two rough edges on Wallstrom to keep him from being a good NHL player versus being a guy who's there. Um, that's fantastic. And this, if it works, despite how wild it is to say at this point, this, if he can, if he can motivate this team and keep doing stuff like this for a good long chunk is exactly the sort of thing that gets coaches into the hall of fame. Well, I mean, it says it's rare for an NHL head coach to take time to work with individuals the way Roy has. Usually this, usually one-on-one stuff is done more than educational. You'd see it at possibly like an ECH. You'd see it at a minor league level where they have more time for to, 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 to teach as opposed to up here where it's just expected that you go, go, go. So for him to do it, yeah, it is a, it, it, it is a rare thing. Uh, but he says, even if you tried to make it, probably 80% of the guys understand exactly what I'm looking for. Sometimes there's just 20% that think they understand. That they think they understand. So it's yep. just nice to take the time one-on-one, making sure that they do understand exactly what you're looking for. So he sits down. He watches some film. He goes over what he's expecting out of Wallstrom. He wants him to be more physical but not be a, a, a goon. You know? be more physical on the forecheck. He goes over and he talks with Engvall. It, it, the The results in the short term are there. I mean, it talks about Engvall and, and how his line had a 70.6% expected goals rate against the Lightning. Again, I'm not a huge advanced metrics guy, but that sounds pretty good. And so if it's having the desired effect, as if, if, if the information is retained and it continues to provide benefits then you'll see more coaches doing it It, i think right now it's just patrick and he's doing it because he wants to see his team succeed and let's not forget that he came into the nhl this back into the nhl this year after five years in the queue yeah and what did he do last year in a 68-game season, he took his team to 53 wins, 12 losses, and won the queue. Um, so he's continuing, and quite frankly, he'd never won anything as a coach before. Over a decade of coaching um, at the NHL and um, – was Colorado not that good under him? Was, <laughs> I thought they were okay. They weren't terrible, but right. they weren't good. Um, and if you look at the roster that he had in the queue last year, there's not a lot of big names. There's not. Okay. Zach Goldick, yes, good player, 110 points in 61 games, but he was an overager. Okay. Pierre Rochette. Uh, 
106 points in 65 games. He was an overager. Um, Leon Rochette isn't even drafted. Um, he's playing in the Swiss League this year. Zach Bolduc, um, he was a <clears throat> he was he's actually a he's in the AHL this year. Um, he's a 2021 Blues pick. Um, Pierre Oliver Rois, uh, who I don't believe is related to Patrick. Um, he's at he's in Canadian college hockey this season. Interesting. Those are their number three. Those are their top three, top three uh, points producers last year. And he didn't ask his players for their phones. He didn't ask the players for their phones. Um, <laughs> and they're, I mean, their number one goaltender in terms of safe percentage had a nine eleven. The guy who played most of their games had a nine oh eight. So he didn't have a. He didn't have a world-beating team. He just got the most out of them. Yes. And that's 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 a pretty amazing stat, uh, amazing ability, it, being able to draw that out. And I don't think he had that ability when he was in the NHL the first time with Colorado because they lost in the playoffs. They lost in the first round his first season. They were out and they missed the playoffs the next two years. Now he has a winning NHL record coming into his Islanders time. He had a 6.83 in his first season, a 5.49 his second season, then a 500 record in his third season. But getting the most, getting the most that people know that they can give or believe that they can give and getting the most that people can give out of them. There are two different things. And he's right about that 80, 20 uh, comment. You know, it's not just what they understand, what they think they understand. It's what they understand. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to be, this is going to be fascinating. I don't think that the, that even with extraordinary coaching, if that's what this proves to be, that the Islanders are going to make a move and suddenly be in the playoffs and, playing for the cup. But I think this can be a much better team. And between what he knows he can get out of people and what can be done in the off season there, we might just see this be this team take a leap next year. I'd be inclined to agree. I think that he's got them on the right. He's getting them in the right mental space for the game going and, and, and he's doing it the right way with not doing it public. You know, he's not sitting out there calling out his players publicly. You know, you, you take him out back, you watch video, you go over the, what the mistakes are, you know, here, instead of turning left and going into the boards, you could have come at it from the right and kept him on, on the wing instead of letting him, giving him access to the center of the, you know, that type of thing. Absolutely. Um, so shift your I, weight I, instead of taking shift your weight and lean and extend your stick instead of taking a full step uh, in that direction to keep your body in front of someone versus allowing them to get around you. And I mean, the Islanders are only 
four points out of a spot out of a uh, playoff spot right now. The Detroit Red Wings have not proven yet that they are a playoff team. The Toronto Maple Leafs are in. It's unfair to call it free fall or meltdown or anything like that, but they're not. <laughs> they're not playing their best hockey. Um, the Tampa Bay Lightning have three games on have played three more games than Toronto and two more games than Detroit. They could fall out. Yeah. I mean, the Islanders have a 538 points percentage. The Tampa Bay Lightning have a 575. That's three of four good games. Um, we did do our will he or won't he uh, poll, and we'll have a new one next week. Will he or won't he, Reinhardt pass Matthews. Most this, of y'all said no. Well, this is no. not. Well, I, they said no. They said no. 57 yep. to uh, 57 to 43. I don't know though. I I just I just pulling up the stats and I know that we're just back from when you know it's only been a week since we asked the question, but I pulled it up and Austin Matthews and Sam Reinhart have both scored two goals. Last time we had this up it was because Austin Matthews had hit 40. Reinhart was at 37. They've now gone to 42 and 39 respectively. Yep. And the guy in third place, uh, well, the two guys in third place are tied. One's Tampa Bay, Kucherov. The other one is Pasternak. They're they're still within shouting distance. They're they're less than ten goals. They're at thirty three each. So, and McKinnon in fifth at thirty two. So, five guys. I think Sam Reinhart can do it. It, it's not going to be easy because Matthews is a prolific goal scorer, but I think That's he can sad. do it. That's, That's sad. it. And tying it back to the earlier story, yeah. if Morgan Riley gets a bunch of games for four plus, Morgan Riley is an offensive defenseman, um, very offensive to the Ottawa Senators. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. And. <sighs> That that could slow Matthews down for a couple of games, allowing Reinhardt to catch him. Um, so I think we're going to do – I'm not sure what we're going to do for a will here, won't he? And since we're running heavy on time, anything else you want to get to this week? No, we've covered everything. This, is a, this has been a good week. Well, that's a rarity. Um, so hockey fans, uh, Beanpot tomorrow night. Ah, yes, it's, Beanpot. Um, PWHL, go look at their calendar. Go look at their schedule. You can get YouTube from anywhere. Uh, you can get Nesson all over New England. Have a great week. Enjoy the hockey. We'll be back with a new show uh, in seven days. And take care. <laughs>